Welcome back to the Two Fish Podcast. My name is Nick. I am Aaron. And this week in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be talking about God's grace and leadership within the church. That's right. Open up your Bibles and join us in 1 Peter chapter 4. We will be diving into this section. Like always, we'll go through, we'll read it, and then we'll go back and dissect it verse by verse. All right, let's just start right in. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead, that through judgment in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There we go. There's chapter four. And I guess just off the top here again, Peter's really pushing in to this idea that we're going to suffer as Christians. Like Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. Like we talked about that in part of chapter two and in three, expect to be pushed aside, expect to be separated from the rest of the world because Jesus was. So we need to expect that too. So verse the first section here, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but the will of God. So right there, Peter's saying, 
hey, we need to have the same thinking that Jesus had. Okay, what was that thinking? Well, Jesus came knowing he was going to suffer. That was the ultimate plan. He was going to come die on the cross. And so he knew without a shadow of a doubt from the very beginning, hey, I'm coming here not only to serve, not only to share my father's word, but ultimately, ultimately to suffer. Right there, it says in the same way. So we need to be like-minded with Jesus and the reason he came. But I, I like how it says, for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I think that points again. I mean, Peter just keeps saying this stuff. My mind says he wants to drive the nail down. Like he wants us to understand it. It's kind of like that, in my mind, the purification process. As we continue to do this, as we suffer for the flesh, like it's going to make us better at becoming like Christ. The more we're suffering for him, which we're, we know we're going to do, the better we're going to get and the closer to living like Christ, you know, once you, once it's been pointed out to you, you can think about it. It's like reading scripture and you read something one time and it just clicks and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you realize all the times in your life where you've done something wrong and you're like, I need to really change that. Yeah. Verse three goes right along with that. If mine reads for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, corrosing and distasteful idolatry, which is basically you got to walk away from that stuff, right? Those are not the things that, and we're going to get to down here later that we're not supposed to do. Yeah. Obviously those are, those are not Christian values and, and those are the things you're supposed to walk away from. But in that process, Peter all over in first Peter, he's telling you as you are walking away from those, you're going to suffer. People are going to come against you because you're trying to walk more like Christ. And there's going to be suffering in that because you're choosing not to live in that sinful nature anymore. Yeah. I mean, continue on verse four. Um, they are surprised when you do not join them because it's not normal. The setup, the separation, the living like Christ is not supposed to be normal. And so they're surprised about it. And they're like, well, I don't understand all this stuff. Goes, I mean, these are, these are big things. These are like major sins orgies. Obviously that's not a normal one that most people participate in, in their daily lives. Um, but maybe drinking parties are, maybe you go to parties where there's drinking and that's become a normal thing. And you're reading scripture or you're hearing this now and you're like, I need to ref- hold on. Let me reflect here. Yeah. I go to dinner parties where there's drinking or I do this and that more than just, Hey, I'm having a beer with dinner. Maybe I need to reevaluate some of this stuff because I should be acting in a way that they're surprised. Yeah, that would be one of those, if you went back to First Peter chapter 2, uh, my heading for the, the section is living godly lives in a pagan society. This, w- this would be pointing to kind of that pagan society, going to drinking parties. That, that has become a normal in society, and we've probably devalued that as, as Christians, right? Like, they're really normal. It's yeah. normal for people to have dinner and drinks and... And and I and I think that's fine it, to go out to dinner, have a drink with your. I mean, Jesus drank. If in the Bible when they called Jesus a drunkard, obviously they would have seen him partaking in wine. I mean, his first miracle was turning water into wine. Alcohol is not necessarily a bad thing. It's how you use it. The question is, are you there to drink? Are you there to have a party where all we're doing is drinking? Are you there to have an orgy? The thinking behind these, the attitude behind these things, has to be 
I'm not partaking like the world does. Right. And that would, that would be any of our, any of our sins. So once again, this is Peter listing off just a couple of the sins of our lives. But that question comes about with, with any of your sinful things. If it's in this section, we're talking about drinking and orgies. Are these other sins like anger, pride, laziness? Like it's any of these sins. What's your attitude going into whatever that activity is? And is that activity ultimately going to point to God? Verse five, but they will give account. So these are the people maligning you. These are the people that abuse you for being set apart because they're surprised that you don't partake in these things, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The way I'm reading this, he's not talking about physically living or physically dead because the next verse talks about the gospel. This is why we preach the gospel. I think he's talking about the living in him or the dead in him. You know what I mean? Like born again Christians. I think that's where he's talking about there. Um, He's going to judge those people. So this points me back to James when we talked about James, like there's times where we feel like we've suffered for something that we didn't do. And God is saying, Hey, hold judgment. Let me take care of that. Like, Hey, they're treating you wrong because you're not partaking in the sins of this pagan society. Let me take care of that. Judgment's coming for them. You just preach the gospel to them. You just live a life where your testimony points back to me. With that, Nick, you kind of wrap six into that too. So we'll just go on down to verse seven here. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. This is one of those areas in the Bible I kind of always get hung up on because it's the end of all things is is near. Yeah. Well, we're 2,000 years later. After like, you wrote this, yeah. How How near is it? And that's always like something that gets hung up in my mind and I'm like, I'm supposed to live like if tomorrow was judgment day, I'm going to pass the test. But when it tells you the end of all things is near, like constantly, and this was wrote 2,000 years ago, you're like, man, is it really near? But do I want to find out the hard way? It's a question. <laughs> you got to ask yourself yeah. when you're reading that. like, Does it matter? You know what I mean? Does it matter if it's today, tomorrow, or not even in our lifetime. I feel like every generation has probably said, these are the signs. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And I feel like in my mind, does it matter? We're to live with self-control and mind says sober-minded. Here's why I think it doesn't matter. Mine says, for the sake of your prayers. Like we need to live like that. That way our prayer life isn't hindered. So we, we need to live like it doesn't matter because if it does come, we're not going to be hindered by these things that we're talking about earlier. Any of those sins, like we're not partaking in drunkenness and drinking parties and orgies and lustfulness and all those things. If the end was to come tomorrow, we're not going to be living in that sinful nature. It really reminds me of chapter three, first Peter chapter three, talking about husbands, Three, verse seven, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Here we go. So that your prayers may not be hindered. When we walk through that, we talked about maybe you need to reevaluate the way you're treating your wife or the relationships in your life. Maybe that's, you know, I think it's the same kind of thing here. We need to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers to make sure those aren't hindered, hindered the way I read it. It instantly made me think, as a husband, how am I treating my wife? 
And I mean, that fits with verse eight above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So therefore, if you're treating your wife and you're loving the wife, your wife, the way you should be, not that that's your only relationship, that is going to cover a multitude of your other, other sins that hopefully you're not partaking in anymore, but it's going to cover those. The way I read that is if you're loving, you're not going to be doing this other stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're showing love to your neighbor, let's say. Well, how does yours read? Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I think it just covers the fact that you're not going to be sinning. So it's love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I'm loving my neighbor, I'm not going to be murdering. It covers that because you're not going to be doing that. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. How many times has my wife said, Hey, we're going to have some people over. And I've been like, Ugh. and I have not wanted to show hospitality because I just wanted to do my own thing tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that one's not a struggle for me. Really? Hospi- like hospitality is part of my, my gifting. If okay. you were to go to spiritual gifts, like hosting and hospitality. So I'm going to be on board with that one. Really? All right. Yeah. I would say it is not my strong suit. And even hospitality, maybe, or being hospitable with my wife, sometimes, hey, we're going to do this. And I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. If it's, we're going shopping, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I, do, like, I think that's in the notes down here, unless you're doing shopping. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely a cliff note. That, is, that does not <laughs> apply to a guy. Like, it's even yeah. in chapter three, that if it involves shopping, yeah. you know, that doesn't apply. Doesn't here. count. Doesn't count. Um, I love, I love how this just, he just is building on what we're talking about here. Verse 10, as each of us receives a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of God's varied grace. There you go. You just said hospitality, hosting, being hospitable. That's a, that's a gift. I don't necessarily think he's necessarily saying like the spiritual gifts. It could be a gift of anything. You have the gift of serving, you have the gift of hosting, use that to show God's love. Let's say you have the gift of of finance. Obviously you can use that gift of, Hey, God's blessed me because I'm smart with my money. I'm a good steward with my money. I can use that gift that I have now to help serve other people, to help love other people. I don't think necessarily he's saying the gifts of the spirit, which are found in Corinthians, like teaching and preaching. Right now those are, if you're a good teacher, you should be, you should be using that gift for God's glory. But I think it could be anything. You host a Bible study every Monday night. In the summer, but that's a, that's a gift that you can show. Yeah, I have the space, and I love to host people, and we're going to do it for Jesus. How you ended that's one of the key things. Like you're doing this for Jesus, because ultimately He covered our sins. But that doesn't mean that we get to go and do whatever we want to do. Mm, yeah, and that's where this section of what Peter's talking about here really applies to us now in today's society. Yeah. It's not that we get to just go and free willy and do whatever, whatever we want. It's, we need to be good stewards of God's grace. It's the story of the talents where he handed out talents and one of them buried him because he didn't want to do something bad with it. The master in the story was like, no, you did do something bad with it because you didn't use the talents I gave you. Ooh. And so here we are. You need to be good stewards of God's grace. You're not supposed to just abuse it. You're not supposed to just use it. 
You're not supposed to just, oh, well, I can not love my neighbor right now because, and how many times have all of us been there? We have an excuse not to love our neighbor in certain situations. We need to be good stewards. Just because we have it doesn't mean we can just put it in our back pocket and use it whenever we want. God wants his grace to be cherished and used appropriately. So I think this flows right into verse 11 uh, along those lines of gifts and, and using our voice. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and amen. So right there, just like you ended it with, we need to point to Jesus. This yeah. all needs to point to Jesus. Our words need to be like God's words. And we're not just out there spouting off in anger. We're not partaking in orgies and drinking parties and, and all these things because none of those are going to point to God. Well, I think keeping with the speaking then, Let's say you're you're given a devotional, or you're given a, or you have the opportunity to teach at church. Do they really need to know who's given the message? Like at the end of the day, you see you see the pastors that introduce them and introduce their family, which you know that's fine. But at the end of the day, do they remember what Jesus had to say that day, or do they remember you and what you had to say that day? You know what I mean? Like, or the funny jokes that you had. Not that there's wrong with anything adding humor into sermons, but at the end of the day. Are they seeing Jesus or are they saying you? Are you making it about you that day? Or are you making it about Jesus's words? Because everything, again, I think we said this last week, everything should point to Jesus. That's quite that's quite the challenge there. If you're, yeah. wherever you're at, whatever your job is, even if you aren't the preacher, are people going to remember you for Nick Burt because he was always angry? Or are people going to show up at your funeral on your day and be like, man, Nick Burt? He really shined like the light of a Christian and he really helped me in my Christian walk and wow. pointed me to Jesus. Like, is that how you're living your life? Is that how I'm living my life? Is that how you're living your life? That's good. That's good. Like at your funeral, are people going to say something about Jesus or are they going to say something about you? So this next section here in chapter four starts on 12, uh, the heading in my Bible well, once again, uh, we didn't cover this, but I'm in the NIV and Nick is in the ESV or die. Yes. So suffering for being a Christian. And once again, here we are with Peter and he's pointing to this word suffering. So verse 12, dear, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So once again, we're not to be surprised by this, like it's coming, it's going to happen in your life. There's going to be some fiery ordeals and they're going to test you. And it, it shouldn't be strange, shouldn't be a surprise, none of that. Like we should expect things to come and they're going to test us and there's going to be some periods of suffering in that. My The ESV says, uses the word fiery too. And I'm almost positive that this is definitely a reference that Peter is using when we talked earlier in the book about the fact that this is during the time where Rome burned, Nero burned down the city. He also burned Christians. I mean, there's a specific reason. I think both of these are using that same word as Peter's 
definitely saying, hey, look, as you're reading this letter, don't forget and don't be surprised. It might be you next. I mean, you're going to go through fiery trials. That's very true. Peter wrote this right before all that happened from some of the research I did. But that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, right? Like, Oh, absolutely. We're still going to have some of these fiery trials. Hopefully, we're not all burned. Being, yeah, being burned. But there's going to be tests. There's going to be things that come up, and we're not supposed to act like we're surprised by them. We should be expecting these tests and these trials to come. And we should rejoice, verse 13, and rejoice as you share Christ's suffering. Like Just as Christ suffered, hung on the cross for us, we need to rejoice in the fact that we are suffering like Christ and be glad when his, re- when his glory is revealed. Hopefully, within the suffering, I know this doesn't always happen, but I feel like sometimes when I've suffered for any reason, and then at the end, I can look and go, oh, okay. That's why I had to go through that. I feel like maybe that's something there going through suffering. And maybe at the end of it, you get to see, okay, I understand why this happened and why that happened. And God got some credit out of that. I'm, I'm so thankful. That's not going to happen every time, but God's glory is revealed through our suffering. And we need to rejoice in that. Verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. So this isn't suffering because, like we talked about in one of our other episodes, that you got a ticket because yeah. you were breaking the law. If you're if you're breaking the law, you should also expect suffering, but this is suffering because you're doing right and you're not partaking in those. So you're suffering because, like in chapter 2, we're living like we are the chosen chosen people like we're a royal priesthood that is how we're to live and we're if we're living like that and we're suffering because of that like that is what god is looking for he's not looking for you to be suffering because you can't get rid of the sinful nature and your desire to be a criminal yeah if you're suffering because you continue to drink and you continue to partake in sexual sin outside of wedlock and you're suffering, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about quite the opposite of that. If you're in marriage and you're loving your wife like you're supposed to and and your wife is living like she's supposed to, but you guys are suffering as Christians because you're walking out of life as a Christian, that is what God is looking for. And that is what Peter is pointing to here. And I think going then into verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that's knowing we're going to suffer. Trust, trust your life, trust your soul to God, the creator, understanding that he's got you, understanding that even if you suffer to death, that it was God's will and he's got you. And it doesn't matter the outcome. As long as you're suffering for doing good and you're suffering for Christ, it's going to be okay. I think that is a great point. God has got this. And I think this is a great section uh, that we can end on. Uh, We were planning on doing five, wrapping four and five up together. But I think there's so much good stuff there in four that we want to separate five out because there's some more good stuff for leadership and how to be elders in five that doesn't really fit with what we just talked about so i think this is a good point that we're gonna we're gonna end this one and then next week we're gonna dive into fives 
Thanks for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this episode, hit those like and subscribe buttons. Also head over to twofishpodcast.com to join the rest of the Two Fish community and all of our social media platforms.